Well, good morning one more time. Can we give God praise one more time if we're excited to be in the house of the Lord? I'm going to ask for you to give one more group of people a great hand of applause. Uh, if this is your very first time, we just want to welcome you. We're thankful that you're here. Some of you, uh, even on last week, you joined us at our outdoor service, our unity service at Norcross. We had an absolutely wonderful time. Pastor Johnson brought an incredible word. And what we did is that we came together, and it really gave a lot of people an opportunity who had never been to church since March. They came out. And I had several people coming up to me saying, hey, Pastor Mo, I'm so glad I came out. Thank you guys for doing this. And I missed y'all last week, but I was glad we were able to do that. And now I'm excited that we're back here today. So I understand that there may be some people that this is your first time. Victory Midtown, can we put our hands together for those people in the house? We welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. Well, listen, uh, I just want to say I'm excited about today. Uh, many of you may have watched and saw my social media post last night. I said, I'm amped. I'm ready. Because I believe that this is a message that we need today in the body of Christ. And as we're walking through this, I want to let us know something that as we are in this series, this is actually week two of our series called State of the Union. This is not an entire series on politics. So you can put your shoulders down. You can kind of brush your shoulders off a little bit. Today, what we're doing, we're actually going to be talking about some things because, as you know, we are in political season. And if you're like me, you're getting inundated with so many things, robocalls, Facebook, Instagram, it's everywhere. And if I get one more robocall, I don't know if I'm going to turn my phone off for a couple of days or what. But what we do know is that as the body of Christ, it would be irresponsible for us to be in this season and not give a biblical perspective on what it looks like to walk through this season. So we are going to do that today, but in the next couple of weeks, we won't be just talking about politics. We're going to be talking about, really, the theme of unity. This whole series is talking about the theme of unity, and this is what we're going to talk about towards the end of the year. Because we're in political season, how many of you guys know we need to talk about unity? In a world that's divided over all types of things, all types of stances, we need to talk about unity. So I want to say this because I understand, and if you didn't know this, I'm going to just confess to you, pastors and preachers don't really like to talk about elections and preach during election season. Because the reality is when you even delve into it, you're bound to offend somebody. You're bound for every one of your words to be scrutinized. So with all of that to be said, even though we're going to talk about today, I'm going to ask you to do something with me because I need some grace today. We're going to pray. And if you would do this for me, put one hand on your head and one hand on your heart as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now, God, that you have given us your grace, which is sufficient. In this season that we're in, there is a lot of division. In this season, there are a lot of things that people battle over. But Father, we pray right now that as you allow me to minister this word, that you bring it forth with clarity, that you give unity, and that you allow us to understand what it is our call in the kingdom. Father, I pray even that there might be tension in here between the heart and the spirit. Father, I thank you that the spirit will overcome. And Father, as we receive this message, let it not be something that we just hear, but let us also be able to leave here and operate as doers of the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, whether you're in here live or you're watching online, we want you to flow with us. That's why we ask Sierra, please go ahead and lean into this Bible app today because there are many things that are going to be there that I want you to carry with you after you leave this moment. And it's going to be important because this week is going to reveal a lot of things. But what we want to have is a reminder of how we're to walk this thing out. So here's something that I want to say. Because I realized that because we're a church of over 140 nations, that means that we are a church with a lot of different ideas about voting, about who to vote for, what policy should be, you know, operating in and what we should be doing. But with that, I'm going to tell you and be honest, neither one of the candidates, in my opinion, really encapsulate the fullness of the kingdom of God standard. Let me just go ahead and put that out there. And that's generally the case. So if I had my choice... I would actually maybe not vote by the one of them, and I think I would go this route. (laughs) 
That's a little thing for, for Kendra and I. I don't show her my notes before I preach or anything, so she didn't know that was coming. But I say, if I had the choice, I would vote for my wife, not just because she's my wife, because she's a great leader, she's a political scientist, she's a genius, and she's just a wonderful woman. I love you. But in all seriousness, today, as we walk through this, I do want to share a burden with you today. I want to share my burden, and I want to actually talk about and give us some insight about the times we're in right now. The times we're in are truly contentious at best. And as we look at this, I want us to know something. Here's a statement that as we even get started here, no matter who gets elected as president this week, I didn't say Tuesday because we might not even know the the results for a couple days. No matter who gets elected this week, there will be an after this. So while we spend so much time thinking about Tuesday and all of this stuff, a lot of us have already voted, and some of us will actually vote on Tuesday. Please, if you have not done that, we do encourage you, go ahead and make sure that you exercise your right to vote on Tuesday. But what I want to talk about and what I want to walk in today is the after this. Because I believe if we can understand how we're to operate after this, we will actually be able to truly be a witness in the kingdom of God. Amen? So I want us to go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And this scripture sets us up for where I'm saying that we're going to be called higher today. The Bible says this in Revelation 4. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here. Can you say that with me? Come up up here. Those who are watching online, everybody in the room, one more time, come up here. And I will show you things which must take place when? After this. And immediately I was in the spirit. That's important. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So again, as I'm looking at this and as we read that and as you save that so that you can go back and look at it this week, my burden is for the after this. And here's something that I'm going to do all day because here it is. I want you to actually have muscle memory. I want that after Tuesday comes and you start to get tempted to get in those arguments and you start to get tempted by seeing things on social media, you get pain in your arm because you remember what I said today. So I want you to follow me for a second. You saw on my social media, or even if you were there last week, I put one finger up before we started praying. So I want everybody to put your right hand up, one finger up, one finger up. All over the room. Some of y'all not doing it. I can see (laughs) y'all. All over. If you can't put your right hand up, put your left hand up. What this means to me and what I'm really going to call us to, because we're going to do this a lot today, is this is us representing that my individuality does not rise above my unity in Christ. My individuality, how I think, how I'm persuaded, my particular stance on one side or the other does not overtake who I am in Christ and the unity we have as one. So today, when I say I'm calling us higher, this is what I want us to do, all right? You can put your hand down. As I'm looking at this, this is what we need to do. I want us to operate in a higher than this responsive posture that the world is going to be in this week. Because the reality is that there's going to be some people that are very happy, and there are going to be some people that are very sad, and then there's going to be some people that just say, eh. And no matter where you find yourself, it's important because we do have a responsibility to be those who are in this world but not of this world. And as we walk through this, this is important because there's a lot of things going on. I want to share some stats with you that are in your YouVersion app and that will be on the screen. I want to explain something. We are not in a situation where it's just going to be gloom and doom, but we are in a situation where we have to understand that a lot of people are riding on what's happening around us. There was a recent article found in the publication called The Atlantic, and it was published in a lot of other articles, and it was titled, America is Having a Moral Convulsion. America is Having a Moral Convulsion. And the writer, David Brooks, he says this. He says, every 60 years or so, America grows through extreme political disharmony, the distrust of institutions and sweeping changes in morality. Meaning, historically, the pendulum of how much we trust political figures and institutions, it swings very heavily almost every 60 years. 
And so much so, for instance, it says this. In 1964, 77% of Americans said they trusted the federal government to do the right thing most or all of the time. Then came Vietnam and Watergate, and that shifted. Then, while we look at this, in 1994, only 20% of Americans said that they trusted the federal government to do the right thing most or all of the time. Then came Bill Clinton's improprieties, the Iraqi war, 9-11, the financial crisis, Michael Brown, George Floyd, Russian hackers, coronavirus, social media hackers, and white nationalists and even fake news. And so what we're seeing is that all these things are going on, and today trust not only in the federal government is down, but trust in any formal institution is down, even the church. And as we look at this, here it is. While everyone is looking at 2020 like it's going to hell in a handbasket, this stuff has been brewing even before 2020. 2020 is like the tipping point. When I saw that one of my favorite characters, the person who embodied James Bond, passed away yesterday, I was like, come on, not again, 2020. <laughs> For those of us who follow gospel music, you saw Rance Allen passed away. <laughs> Y'all get that later for y'all that don't know. He was the king of runs in gospel music. He passed away. So there are a lot of things that are attacking us. There are a lot of things that, that we feel even overwhelmed in, but we still have to be able to keep our rooting and our footing down in the kingdom of God. Let me show you this. Failing trust in institutions is bad enough, but when people lose faith in each other, that, that's when societies begin to really fall apart. And the stats right here says that in 1997, 64% of Americans had a great or a good deal of trust in the political competence of their fellow citizens. While in 2020, only 33% feel that way. Only 30% 30, 30 of Americans agreed that most people can be trusted. And only 19% of millennials felt that way. And only 15% of black Americans felt the same. I'm not done. Only 10% of Gen Z trust politicians to do the right thing, and only 17% say that they are proud of the state of America. 71% of Americans say that they are angry about the state of our country, and 80% of Americans believe that things in the country are out of control altogether. And when we look at this, what we see is that right about 80% mark people from all different backgrounds, they say if one political candidate gets in or the other, that our country is in irreparable form. And what I'm here to say is that we can't focus so much on the stats. Even though those might be the facts, we have to know the truth. And as we dig in to know the truth, while we have to pay attention to this, we cannot be swayed by what this looks like. Because if we're doing that, what we're saying is that we're more concerned and we're more in tune with the natural circumstances than our spiritual authority. So here it is. With all of this in consideration, how will we live after this? Say it one more time with me. After this. How will we live after this? Will we be spiritually minded or will we be more naturally minded? In Revelation 4, the Spirit of God is calling us higher. And in the midst of different circumstances, again, John is telling us by revelation of God, saying, come up here. Because you cannot get so focused on what's going on in your immediate that you lose the long-term vision. And as we look at this, I need us to get a higher perspective than what our natural circumstances infer and that they show us. So here it is. I want to shift gears. How many people in here remember back in the day when we used to go to homeroom every day and then they would play uh, the, the music over the intercom and you would stand there, everybody would stand up, I pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. How many of y'all remember that? That was something that we did every day. Every day. The reason why we did it every day, because what we were saying right there is that we were affirming that I can take advantage of the benefits that are here in America. But what we were also saying is that I'm also affirming that I'm going to live by the laws of the land in this government. But what we're looking at today, here it is, while I love America... And while I love the things that we are blessed to do, I've been blessed to travel all over the world. I've gone through three passports. I've seen a lot of places. Some of you are like, I don't know if I really like living in America. Try going to some of these other countries. You'll get a little wake-up call. 
Yes, there's a lot of social issues. Yes, there's a lot of political issues. Yes, there's unrest and uh, injustice, but we are still a blessed nation. So as I walk through this and I really appreciate living in America, my source doesn't come from America. America and the government and the politics and the policies is not what I get my peace in. These are not the things that I found on. So as we're looking at this, because I submitted my life to Jesus years ago, now I have now been adopted into a higher nation, into a higher family, and into a higher order. Somebody say that with me. We are going what? Higher. So as we talk about going higher, here's what's important. As those who are, who are called on the name of the Lord, we are subject to different standards because we look to a different source. I'm going to say that one more time. As those who call on the name of Jesus, we are subject to different standards because we call on a different source. And that's important because here it is. I want to look at something in 1 Peter chapter 2. Many of you have heard this scripture before, but I'm going to read it and I'm going to read it slowly because I need us to get this. I need us to grab this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Peter is saying this. And he is the stone, he's talking about Jesus, that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Watch this. But you are not like that. Somebody say, I'm not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God mercy, God's mercy. Now, as we read that, sometimes we run over those things, but I want you to do something. I want you to hear this. This is hope for somebody. Because not everybody came in here understanding their authority in Christ. Not everyone came in here understanding that, yes, I answer to a higher power. Not everyone came in here understanding that even as bad as something I did even yesterday before I came in here, I am still forgiven and I'm still given hope because God has chosen me. And as we understand that God has chosen us, when you say yes to Christ, you become a different person. I'm going to say that one more time. When you become one who accepts Christ, you become a different person. You become united with other Christians who have become a chosen generation. Do this for me. Look at somebody around you, not the person you came with, but just look at somebody else. Don't get scared. Look them in the eyes. As you look at them, you are united with them as a royal priesthood. Some of y'all hadn't looked nobody in the eye all week. <laughs> look a little longer, look a little longer, look a little longer. You are united with that gift of God as a royal priesthood. You are united with that person that you're looking at as a united and a holy nation. And here it is. What we have to do is that we have to learn that we have to follow the model of Jesus. And what was the model of Jesus? Jesus said this in John chapter 18. He answered Pontius Pilate when he was getting ready to go and be crucified. He said this when he was saying, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Are you this person who, are, who is coming to operate in political uh, change? Jesus said this. He said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to Jewish leaders. But watch this. My kingdom is not of this world. Y'all say that with me. My kingdom... Do this. My kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. One more time. My kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. What Jesus was actually saying right there is he was saying, I'm operating in a duality. I'm operating in an overlapping kingdom. I'm operating in the kingdom of this world, but I'm also simultaneously operating in the kingdom of God. And as I operate in the kingdom of God, that's what trumps the kingdom of this world. And when I say we need to follow his example, that's the mindset that we have to have. That's why I'm saying that we have to be able to come up higher. Because if we're not careful, we'll be subject to everything we see, everything we hear, what's being rehearsed around us. And God is saying, hey, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to understand that you're an alien to this land. You don't belong here, but you need to operate with influence here. So here it is. As America says, it's even written on some of our bills. We're one nation under God. A lot of us could actually say something different about that. 
Because I believe, just like it says in Matthew chapter 7, that you will know them by their fruit. And so as we're going to be a nation under God, we have to be those who actually match up with who we say we believe. So as we look at this, here it is. We are to live as a nation within a nation. We are to live as a nation with a higher calling. And I know this is going to kind of walk a little bit of a tightrope between your mental capacity and your spiritual mind, but I want to let you know, open yourself up to hearing what God is saying right now, because you are not one who was really born here. Yeah, you were born here in the natural, but before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Bible says that God knew you. He ordained you a prophet to the nations. So as we look at this, here it is. This is a major key alert. So write this down, major key alert. To be a citizen of one nation, you have to renounce your allegiance to any other government. To be a citizen of a nation, you have to renounce your allegiance to another government. So what I'm setting us up for here today is to understand that yes, we are Americans. Yes, we are those who live in the flesh. But when it comes to our spiritual authority, our spiritual guidance, we are those who belong to another nation. So that means our allegiance have to be to that nation. Here's the thing, when you get saved, you become citizens of heaven, we renounce our allegiance to this government of this world, and we pledge our allegiance to the government of God. So no longer do we just stand up like we're little kids in a room and say we pledge allegiance to the flag. Every day you get up, and I want some of y'all to do this this week, get up and look in the mirror and say, I pledge my allegiance to you, Jesus. I pledge my allegiance to you, Jesus. We're going to need to say that because you will be tempted to fall back in your natural allegiance. And what we're going to do this week is we are going to be called higher. Put that finger up. Put that finger up. Feel it because we are going to be called higher. So here it is. As you are someone who lives in the world but not of this world, what that means, that does not mean you disrespect the local authority. Let me make that real clear. I was like, well, Pastor Mo said, I don't have to listen to anybody. I didn't say that. We have to respect and we have to honor our local authority. But when their allegiance to the local authority starts to go against what the Word of God says, that's when we should have a holy resistance. Because the reality is, if we see it like that, we actually should be walking in a spiritual tension. That while I'm living in this world, I still need to keep the standard of the Spirit of God. While I'm living in this world and everything around me is trying to get me to do and operate like everybody else, I'm operating on a tightrope of tension saying, Lord, I believe what you said so much that I trust you beyond what I see. So as we look at this, here it is. Jesus prays for us. He knows this is so important that he prays to God for us because he knows this is not going to be easy. What does he say? In John chapter 17, let's go there. In John chapter 17, verse 13, Jesus prays to God the Father for us, and he says this, I have given them your word. He's talking about us. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you, God, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So I just want to pause right there because some of us, we see ourselves as just normal. Some of us, we see ourselves as just people that are just going along to get along. And Jesus is like, just like I am, so are they. He goes on to say, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into this world, I am now sending them into this world. Here's another thing I want you to write down. It's not in your notes. You've heard me say this before. We as a body of believers need to operate as thermostats instead of thermometers in this world. And what I mean by that is we have to be thermostats that condition a spiritually de deficit world. We have to be those that when we show up, people actually take the gauge off of how we operate to get in line with what they need to operate in. But so many of us, we're closet Christians. We're closet disciples, that we don't want to ruffle feathers. We want to just sit here and say, okay, God, I'm going to pray in my prayer closet. And God is saying, I need you to show up and change the atmosphere. And as we do that, what we see is we are those who spiritually condition. If we don't do that, here it is, it's very possible that we will forfeit our God-given authority by going with the natural circumstances and the natural status quo. 
And as we walk through this, we're in a critical season. So I just want to give us a couple things of how we actually take this stance in this politically charged world we live in. How do we take a stance to make sure that we are operating as one new nation under God? The first thing that I want us to understand today that's going to be important for us in the after this is that we have to put our hope in Christ, not political leaders. We have to put our hope in Christ, not political leaders. Now, let me say this. God is not going to wake up on Wednesday morning saying, oh, my me. This person got in office. This person was elected. This person, oh, man, I know I told Noah that I would never shift the world and never start the world again, but this person got in, so oh, let me just go ahead and put another flood. That's not what God is going to say. He's not surprised. He's not going to wake up on Wednesday or Thursday whenever we get the results and say, hey, I didn't know this was going to happen, so now we need to start a new plan. What he expects from us is to be those who already understand that we're a holy nation already called by him. What he expects from us is for us to have our founding in him and not in political leaders. So this is key. If you wake up this week, one of the days when you find out that your particular candidate that you voted for didn't get in, if you're shook and your mental state is all over, I would venture to say that you might be dabbling in these two words that are powerful. You might be dabbling in political idolatry. I need you to write those two words down. If your whole being, if your whole countenance, if everything about you is now it's gloom and doom, or you're so excited now you're walking around with pride, you might be operating in political idolatry. And when we talk about this political idolatry, what I want us to understand is that some of us are putting our hope in a political Messiah when we should be putting our hope in the only Messiah, Jesus Christ. So here it is. Let's look at what our friend, the prophet Jeremiah, what he told us about putting our hope into a person. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, he says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in who? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. When it gets a little hot, when things get a little hard, we don't fear. It leaves are always green. It has no worries. I don't got no worries. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Put those fingers up. Put those fingers up. Put those fingers up. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord. People ask me all the time, Mo, you know, when this happens, when that happens, if this person gets in, how are you going to feel? What are you going to do? I'm not worried because I know where my help comes from, and my help comes from the Lord. I raise my eyes to the hills. I don't walk around looking down, worrying about if it's red or if it's blue, if this state is red or if it's blue. That's why I wore black today. Because what I'm saying is that God, on his canvas of our lives, he can speak anything into existence. He already knows what's going to happen. Even when it looks like it's going to go one way, he says, let there be. And nothing stopped being it since God said, be it. So when we look at this, what God is saying to us is that we don't have to have our trust in man. We need to have our trust in him. Now, you guys know I don't like to take anything for granted. What is trust? Because here it is. I want you to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Blow it out. We have to take a deep breath and ask ourselves, who is our trust really in? What is our trust really in? Because trust is defined by Webster's Dictionary as this, an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. One in which confidence is placed. Dependence on something future or contingent hope. 
So as we're looking at this, again, my ability to flourish is not dependent on man because my roots are planted on a solid rock. And all we have to do is make sure that no matter who gets in, yes, we need to vote. Yes, we need to, you know, vote for the person who we feel led to vote for. But it's not about us getting so up in arms that if our particular candidate didn't get in, now we're walking around like there's no hope. When we put our trust in political officials over our trust in Jesus, here it is. What we're actually doing is we're yielding our lordship to man. We're yielding our lordship to man. And I have a question for you. If you yield your authority and your lordship to man, you actually might be an enemy of Christ. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears in my eyes, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What Paul is saying right here is he's saying, he's actually referencing Caesar in this time, who was the political leader at the time. He's saying, my government and my leadership doesn't come from him. What he's saying is that Caesar is not my Lord and my Savior. There's only one Lord and Savior. Let me say it like this in this contemporary church, and his name is Jesus. There's only one Lord and one Savior. And as we look at this, even when you see that, it says their their hope is in their stomach. Even think about this. When I was reading this, I saw this picture. When you think about your stomach, it actually talks about what urges you have, what cravings you have, what you feel, what is in the natural state. And what I'm here to say is that we can't let the urge on the inside of us to, to conform to this world be something that disqualifies us from our position in Christ. So as we're looking at this and we understand that there is only one Lord, that takes me to the next thing that I want to show us that we need to operate as one nation under God, and it's this. We have to live on the platform of righteousness and justice. We have to live on a platform of righteousness and justice. If you've been around Victory for any period of time, you've heard us talk about this. And here it is. Most of the time, when you hear these political speeches and when you hear these debates, The candidate is asked, what platform are you running on? And what we have to do as believers is we can't be so focused on what platform they're running on. We have to know what foundation we're to live on. And what I mean by that is that as we look at this, we are one nation under God and we believe this. In Psalm chapter 89, verse 14, the Bible says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Psalm 33 and 5 says, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Now, let me break this down for a second. This is important because politics is usually split between one of these sides. And generally, when you look at it, righteousness is talked about in the form of living right towards God, living by a moral code of conduct for God's word. Whereas justice, when you look at it, is talking about living right towards people, which is usually cast in in the realm of correcting the injustices of society, defending the poor and the marginalized. And the reason why it's important to break these down is because I want us to look at this scripture in Isaiah chapter 28 and 16. It says, look. It says, look, very clearly, because we need to pay attention to this. It says, look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes needs never be shaken. I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. What we're saying right here is that we can't build on just one or the other. And the ploy of the enemy is to get us to choose one side or the other, left or right, red or blue. And as we look at this, here it is. The Republican Party historically has been the one who sides on the side of righteousness. When you look at that, they historically, they're the ones that talk about ending abortion or having sexual morality. 
I'm not saying they always do those things, but this is the platform that Republicans mainly stand on. While Democrats, they mainly stand on, historically, being on the side of justice issues, helping lift people out that are not succeeding, helping those who have been prejudiced against, helping the marginalized. Now, I'm not saying they do it either, but that's what they generally stand on. And as we look at this, here it is. Again, the ploy of the enemy is to get them to pit against each other. When really, let me take it another step further. Righteousness is actually a first commandment thing, while justice is a second commandment thing. And not only is the enemy trying to get us to pit against sides, he's trying to get us to pit against his actual word. Because in the first commandment where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul, in the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, if he can get us to split and to be in competition, the kingdom of God will never come. And that's why it's important for us not to operate in the cancel culture. That's why it's important because some of us in this room today, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of us, we defriended some people today when they saw their social media stream. Some people, as we get closer to this this week, even Tuesday, and after this, we are going to be tempted to say, oh, no, I see you now, boo-boo. <laughs> you just showed your card. And we have to be those who rise, put that finger up, come on. We have to be those who rise to a higher standard. Why do we have to raise to a higher standard? Because the reality is that a lot of these uh, politicians, it's not that they all believe all the things on this side or all the things on that side. It's something called package deal ethics. Because the reality is you can't win by being on both sides. You have to be someone who actually takes a side. So if you believe one thing over here, you have to be all in or all out. So what we've done is we've actually started to cancel people by one thing that's just different than us. And God is asking us, will we look higher? Will we come up here to a higher call? Now, let me say this real quick. A lot of churches won't talk about this this way because generally it's very monolithic. You have one group that's kind of more bent over here. And I already know some of y'all are, are listening to me very closely today. Because depending on what I say, I can look out into the crowd and see some people doing this. Right on, bro. <laughs> and then I look on the other side and I see some of y'all looking at me like this. I knew you were different. And what we have to understand is that it's not about the right or the left. It's not about the Democrat or Republic. It's about this, understanding that Jesus is not a Democrat. Some of y'all don't want to clap. Nor is he a Republican. Can I just get everybody to clap on that right now so you don't put yourself out there? So watch this, watch this. As one nation under God, we are not servants of a political party. We are not those who serve a donkey or an elephant. We are those who serve the lion and the lamb. Amen. Which means, let's see if y'all still clapping after this, which means we stand for life and conception in the womb to death in the tomb. which really means we are pro-life as a biblical belief, not as a political statement. We are for the foreigner. We are for the widow. We are for the orphan and the poor. We are for the oppressed. We are for the cr criminal justice reform. We are for every human being that's made in the image of God in the Imago Dei, which means, yes, black life does matter, but your life matters as well. It doesn't detract from your life because someone says black life matters. So as we look at this, what we really are saying is that what we believe in, we believe in sexual identity. We believe in morality matters. What we believe ultimately, though, is we believe in humility, we believe in love, and we believe in compassion. Because what has happened is that the church has gotten a black eye because people have edged on one side or the other. The church has gotten a black eye because you can't tell anybody about your Jesus if they can't see his fruit from you. And as we look higher, as we grow in these things, what that means is that we're for you, we're for you, we're for you, we're for you, we are for you, we are for you, we're for all y'all. 
So we have to get this because if we stand on God's foundation and not political parties, we will understand this statement that Abraham Lincoln said. He said this when somebody said, hey, Abe, what side are you on? He said, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God's side is always right. Now, let me kind of go ahead and give an extra abbreviation to that. But some of y'all listen to me like, yeah, I knew it. God's side is always correct. Some of y'all will get that when you get home. It's not right or left. It's correct. So as we walk through this, here it is. Let me give you this last thing about how we need to walk as one nation under God. We have to, and this is very important, we have to act as God's ambassadors for the government of God. We have to act as ambassadors for the government of God. Now, when we look at this, we in the church, we get so in so many arguments and so much division because we lose sight of why we're here. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, because this is something that you're going to have to remind yourself this week, I want you to write this word down. I want you to write R-E and then put a dash between it and then put P-R-E-S-E-N-T. R-E dash present. Represent, represent, or represent. The reason I'm saying that is because not only are we to show up on the scene and represent the kingdom of God, what we're really supposed to do as ambassadors is when we show up on the scene, we are to represent the kingdom. We are to represent the kingdom to some people who have not seen the kingdom in the way that it should be presented. And what has happened so much is that we have allowed people to stay in their old version of what they thought church was. Because they had a bad experience, because someone did something, because somebody abused power, we as kingdom of God people have to be those that when I show up, I represent to you what the kingdom of God looks like. What that really means is that we are to be ambassadors. And what does an ambassador mean? An ambassador is someone who represents one government while living in another. An ambassador, someone who lives in one government by, while representing another. Here it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though, as though God were pleading through us. Somebody say, through us. God is pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What Paul was saying right here is he was saying, hey, listen, I'm a Roman citizen, but everywhere I go, I represent Jesus. While I was born into a Roman citizenship here, when I show up on the scene, people see Jesus through me. And for us as kingdom ambassadors, when we show up on the scene, it should be like a straight stick showing up in a crooked stick area. And a lot of times what we don't really get is that people don't even know something is out of order until a standard shows up. Here it is, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's not in your notes, so write this down. Isaiah 59, the Bible says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord lifts up a standard against it. Sometimes we run through that scripture, but I want y'all to put a comma in there. Because I believe as I'm reading this and I see the revelation from God, the Bible says, when the enemy comes in, what he's actually saying is, like a flood, the Lord lifts up the standard. Put your hand up, put your hand up. You're the standard that he's talking about. You're the standard. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God says the standard now shows up. And so as we're walking this thing out, as we're ambassadors to Christ, we have to understand that our witness says a lot about us. Our witness says a lot about us. Let me ask this. Does your witness represent the spirit or the flesh? Let me say it like this and make it really real. If I go back and, and look at your timeline on social media for all of y'all people that are private on IG. <laughs> if I go back and look at your social media feed, is it going to tell me that you're an ambassador of Trump, Biden, or Jesus? Let that sink in for a minute. Selah, think on those things. Does it represent Biden? Does it represent Trump? Or does it represent Jesus? So here it is. I'm going to challenge some of us to go home even today and take an examination of what you post. Take an examination of your heart because your heart is reflected in what you put out. And as you may have thought that I was going to come in here and tell you which way to vote and sway you this way, no, no, no. I'm saying we have to be ambassadors of Christ's standard and do what we have to do as God leads us. Here it is. Because we have to both vote 
and we have to live this life out as an ambassador. What I'm not saying is that just, you know, get caught up in the third heaven and be in your prayer closet and then you don't vote. <laughs> because faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. And we have to be those who don't just talk about it, but we have to be about it. And as we look at this, we can't get involved and say, okay, I want this to be better, but we've never got involved and put our hands to the plow. So here it is. As we look at this, we have to be those who put ourselves in position to represent the kingdom and in these areas. Write these down if you can keep up. We have to bring God's influence into these spheres. The political, the media, arts and entertainment, business, education, religion, and family. If you want to look up that later, you can go and Google. It's called the seven mountains of influence. The seven mountains of influence. And what we're saying is that God is not exempt from any particular mountain of influence. But what he needs for us to do is to not just pray about it. He needs us to make sure that we get into the culture so that we can represent his kingdom in the earth. Because here it is. Write this down because I do want you to get this. Yes, we have to get on our knees and pray. But then we have to get up and brush our hands off and go to work. Yes, we have to get on our knees and pray, but then we have to brush our hands off and go to work. Because if you're only praying about something, you're really not looking to see change. I know that might be hard to hear in a spiritual environment, like we're supposed to pray. No, I need you to pray and work. I need you to pray and get involved. I need you to pray and enact change. So as we're looking at this, it gives us the onus back. Because so many of us, if we're honest, we've outsourced our Christianity to the government. We've looked at the government and said, well, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they feeding the hungry? Why aren't they clothing the naked? Why aren't they making change? Because we are called to do that. Yeah. So here it is. I want to give us a summary scripture. If you didn't hear any other scripture that I gave today, I want you to write this scripture down. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to rehearse it this week because this is what you're going to need to grab to stay higher even after this, after Tuesday. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone. Everyone in the Greek means everyone. Everyone in the Hebrew means everyone. Treat everyone you meet with dignity, meaning the Democrats, meaning the Republicans, meaning the conscientious observers and those who actually keep themselves out of politics. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. Put your hands up one more time. God is calling us higher. If you already voted, I didn't come in here to sway your thought or your conscience about who you voted for. What I came here to do is to speak to your spirit, man. Because after this, after the ballots are in, after everything is counted, what will you be doing to represent the kingdom of God in the earth? Keep that hand up, keep that hand up. I need you to feel this. The ballot box is just a symptom of what we actually operate in the spirit. And we bring the kingdom as we put our hope in Christ and as we stand on justice and righteousness and as we advance as ambassadors of a different world. As we have a conviction understanding that we won't operate in political idolatry, but we will put our trust and our faith in the Lord for a world that needs Jesus because they're lost without him. 
So yes, I do want you to vote this week if you have not done it. But more so, I want you to commit to being someone that God can look at and say, yeah, yeah, they didn't just raise their hand, but they put their hands to work for my kingdom. You can put your hands down. This is how I want to cap this off. I want to cap this off by us praying the Lord's Prayer together. Not a Democratic version or a Republican version. I want us to put this together as one, in unity, as a nation within a nation, one nation under God. So they're going to put it on the screen, and we're going to all read this together. You ready? Y'all ready? Let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Can you lift your hands and bow your heads for a moment? Father, we love you. We thank you that you have called us out to be a nation within a nation. You have given us a higher call than any political office. And Father, because we don't want to operate in political idolatry, we want to make sure that we put you first. So Father, right now, I'm praying for the person who wants to give their lives to you, understanding that, yes, I've been putting my trust in man. And even for those who have given their lives to Christ before, but now say, hey, I need to recommit my life. I need to say, God, you have all of my heart. Father, I pray right now that those people who want to receive you right now and all of us in the room, we declare right now that by the blood of Jesus, we are forgiven. So, Father, I thank you that those who are receiving you for the first time, they're confessing that you are Lord and Savior over their lives, that you are the one who forgives them of every sin, that as they repent, meaning that they turn away from their old ways and invite you to turn them into your way, that they are now forgiven. Father, I thank you for those who will declare even right now that you are Lord and you are Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.